But if you would, turn in your Bibles this morning. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 14. And as we're turning there, there's a few things I want to announce. that uh, At the end of services, most Sundays, we have a time down here at the altar. And something that I want to begin establishing is we are going to have a prayer altar team so that when you come down and get prayed for, there is a team of people that is ready to pray with you, ready to instruct you and direct you any way that you might need. But today, we have our prayer altar team meeting. And that's, that's following service, and that's going to be next door, and we're going to have some food available for you. If uh, I know many of you are doing the Biggest Loser Challenge, we did our best to accommodate you. Um, you'll have to modify, okay? Some of you may have to modify, but it's fine, it's fine. But anyway, so this is the last Sunday of our series called Wild, and we have been talking about John the Baptist. And I believe there is not a more perfect way to wrap up this series than to have baptisms today. But next week, I'm also excited because we're starting a series on David. And this series is actually going to take us all the way through May, I believe. So we're going to be talking about uh, King David for, for quite a while, and I, I love talking about David. Um, what, a, what a great subject that uh, he brings us. And, but anyways, we're going to take a one-week break during that series. You can mark it on your calendars now. April 4th is Easter Sunday. And I, I haven't even announced it yet. So uh, my board's going to maybe give me dagger eyes, I don't know, because they're like, news to me. But uh, we're going to return something that I did in Waterloo that I want to do down here, is we're going to have breakfast that morning before service. And so we're going we're gonna to invite you to breakfast, and then we're going ha- to celebrate that Christ is risen, amen? So anyways, I think, I think I got all that squared away. We've talked about it all. I can move on. Now, every message in this series, I have told you, Matthew eleven eleven, that Jesus exclaimed, there was no one greater than John the Baptist on the face of the earth. Yet, there, there, was, there was such a short passage that covered him, yet this is a, a man we need to learn about. We need to understand who he was. And last week we talked about that even when John was thrown in prison, his faith was wavering. He was struggling a little bit with, okay, I baptized this Messiah, and I, I, I saw God do an amazing work, but now, God, here I am struggling. And so what we're going to do today... Um, We're going to talk about how so much of what we do, as we look to John the Baptist and we say he was was a pretty amazing man, like he he did some pretty incredible things. Um, When we reflect back on our life, like we're going to reflect back on John the Baptist, most of you, maybe before we began the series, you thought of John the Baptist as a guy who, yeah, he baptized people, he prepared the way for Jesus Christ, but he lived a short life and he was beheaded. And so maybe those are the things you just know about him. And so you might look back and say, you know, John, he lived a pretty short life. He could have done a lot more for God. And so seemingly, we can judge whether our life is good or bad or whether someone else's life is good or bad through this prism of thinking that John only lived, what, some 30 30 years on this earth, and then he was gone. 
And we also, we, we, we dictate decisions, emotions, thoughts on God by whether or not our life is good or bad. Because you might be sitting here in this church this morning and you're saying, Pastor, my life's not good. Or my life, my life could be better. And so we're making decisions based off those thoughts. Now I want to rewind way back in the beginning of the story of John the Baptist. John, John's parents had great expectations for their son. His dad, Zachariah, was visited by an angel named Gabriel, and both of his parents were very old. They, they just written off the idea of having kids. They're like, that's, that's not possible. That's not humanly possible. We've just accepted our fate that we are going to die without children. But Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and promised him a child. And not only did he do that, he said, you are not going to be able to speak until your son is born. And so here was a man that couldn't even speak, but he was so excited, elated over the thought of he and his wife Elizabeth having a child. From there we learn that John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that life sprung forth inside her womb. And it was so obvious that God was doing a unique work. In fact, one time, Elizabeth was visiting her cousin, Mary. Mary was pregnant with child, a child named Jesus. You guys hopefully know him. And as Elizabeth is pregnant and Mary is pregnant... The presence of Jesus just there, John the Baptist leaped within the womb just by being in the same presence of Jesus Christ. Then John was born. And in Jewish tradition, they wait eight days and then they have circumcision. They had a circumcision party, guys. I'm glad, I'm glad none of you all are having parties for that, just saying. Um, but they had a party, and it is at that party they're asking the parents, what do you want his name to be? His name should be Zechariah. And all of a sudden, Zechariah's speech opened up, loosened up, and he said his name is going to be John. Amazing. Then Zechariah, after his speech was loosened up, he gave a prophecy and listen to what he said about his son. It's not going to be up on the screen, but listen to what Zechariah says about his son. This is in Luke 1, 76 through 79. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. What a great revelation into who John was going to be. And as we've been talking about John as a great man, and, and John a man who prepared the way for Jesus, today I want to talk about the end of John's life, the purpose he served, and how he clung to a greater hope. Let's read Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. For those of you that have electronic Bibles, I read out of the New Living Translation, and let's begin. 
Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. He had been his, uh, she had been his brother's, bro brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl, who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your messengers of the past that prepared hearts for a coming Messiah. We thank you for men and women who said yes to the call and embraced, God, what you had for them in their purpose. I thank you. And today, Lord, may we cling to hope in you, not in this earth, not in things that we hope to come, but into eternity. In Jesus' name. You remember the commercial, Life Comes at You Fast? It was diarrhea medication, but... Uh, there are things in life that are completely unexpected. Things that we never would have prepared for. Imagine John. Here he is. He has the, the king's ear. He's talking to the king regularly, and the, the king has, has a heart that he is kind of sharing with this man. And clearly to me, he is being changed. And John the Baptist, he has had a thriving ministry, yet all of a sudden, it seems like it ends so suddenly. It ends in the course of a day. And this man, he dared to stand up to Herod because he knew God was on his side. And Herod's heart was receiving and hearing what John was saying. 
And it's fair to say that John, he, he had the presence of the Holy Spirit and he was convicted along the way about doing the right thing. So as the Holy Spirit gave him utterance in what to speak, John was speaking and people were receiving it. And up to this point, it had worked for him so far. The things that John were doing, he was seeing God move in everything he did. So he speaks out against the king. And in the long run, it cost him his life. Now for those at the time, those who had been following John's ministry, those who were baptized him, they'd accepted a new way of life that John had encouraged. And so the news of John the Baptist being suddenly killed had to be so defeating. It had, it had to make them question, what was that decision I made and, and why? I mentioned earlier, John passed away about the age of 30, and we, we can consider that a really short lifespan, yet the impact he had in those 30 years was so valuable, so valuable. Now, when we think of John, we think of him, he, he baptized people, we, uh, we think of the, the food that he ate, because scripture is explicit in that, and then we think about the fact that he was killed, he was beheaded. And so we reflect on this end, and we say, it's, it's so tragic and we can easily come to the conclusion that his life was short and he could have been used more for the kingdom of God. Now one thing I know, life doesn't usually go as planned. And it does come at you fast. It does take sudden turns. It is very unexpected. Now we discussed last week how many of us get discouraged when things don't go as we anticipate. I don't know about you, but I have expectations. I have expectations about what the future is going to be like. I have expectations about what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. I have expectations of next week and hopefully what I get to do this summer and so on and so forth. I'm naturally a dreamer. Do we have people who daydream and love to daydream in here? Okay. All right. My heart aligns with you. Let me tell you what I was doing this week. I was daydreaming about warmer climates and vacation. And as I'm doing those things, I am picturing exactly what life is going to look like, right? I'm dreaming it up in my head. It's, it's warm. That's one. It's warm. The sun's out. In my view, there's probably mountains, wildlife, things of that nature. And I, I, I'm imagining my kids, who are teenagers, my kids enjoying that. Clearly dreaming, right? And eventually we get to those moments, don't we? We get to those moments we are anticipating, those moments we've been hoping about. And sometimes, in fact, most of the time, it doesn't go as we planned. It doesn't go how we expected or how we thought it was going to go. And then typically, what, what, what happens with many people, all of a sudden when, when those kind of things happen, but it's, maybe it's tragic, maybe it's difficult, maybe it involves suffering, God comes into question. Faith comes into question. And so if I can speak directly to you from, from this passage of Scripture where we're not so much focused on John the Baptist, but maybe focused a little bit about our own life in revelation to who, what his life was like, is that I can affirm to you God's plans are different than yours. 
God's plans are very different. Listen to Proverbs, Proverbs 19.21. It says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. I've often heard it said, you make plans, God laughs. Right? So what I have realized that even after a daydream that I have had is now shot down, it is to trust and obey God no matter what, no matter what he carries me through. And the, the one thing I can tell you is it's easy for us to say it right now, but it is so terribly difficult for us to do it when those moments get there. Amen? Because many of you, just like me, we have clung to scriptures like Jeremiah 29, 11. Come on, you guys know what that is, right? Many of you probably have it on your wall. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. To give you a future and a hope. You're hearing that, and we say, yes, God. Yes, I hear about that future and hope. I hear about that prosperity. Lord, make it happen. So be it. I'm on board with that plan, God. We're thinking, that sounds so good. But then you go to these, these moments where things didn't get, go as expected, or suffering occurred, or some tragedy occurred, and instead we say, wait a second. You have this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. I, Lord, that's my life verse. That's the verse that means everything to me. And everything is changing. Everything is different. My life seems like a disaster. And then many people, they then determine, maybe God's not for me. Maybe God's not God at all. Do you see how quickly that changes our pattern of thinking from even what we knew before? When in our limited understanding... We don't realize God's purpose goes well beyond this earth. His purpose is everlasting. His purpose isn't about just today for today. Just tomorrow for tomorrow. Or the course of the next month or so on or so on. Instead, like me thinking about baptisms and like, dude, you need to wrap this up. Like me thinking about baptisms, we get that tunnel vision. And we get so locked on to that idea of what that future is going to be like that, that we can't get past, oftentimes, maybe whether it's good and the things we've been dreaming about, or we're so focused on our present situations that we get tunnel vision on that and we think, God, where are you in any of this? Now, there are real life difficulties in this room where it can be so easy to question, how could this possibly be a sign that God cares for me? I shared last week, my oldest son, when he was born, he was well advanced, well advanced. And then about 18 months occurred and every, the clock seemed to completely go back. And I remember it was much of the same and doctors not giving us answers. I, I remember when he was around eight years old, I joined Facebook. And this was shortly after his diagnosis. And I, I had friends already on there. And they, they had kids, my kids' age. And I was seeing them post the kids say the darndest things type of posts. And I was sitting there thinking, I'll never have a conversation with my son. 
not anything meaningful. And so I got this tunnel vision into the circumstances of my life. And let me tell you what my wife and I did. We hid our children from the world. We tried to control every aspect that, in my mind, I deemed not normal. And we began to restrict everything about their lives. And I started thinking about, I'm never going to see him get his car and drive off. Maybe that's a good thing. I'm never going to send him off to college. You know, I, I'm never going to see him married. I, I'm, I'm not going to see those things. And I, my wife and I, we had to grieve those moments in church. You guys got times where you have to grieve these moments where they're, they're painful and they hurt so much. And what I'm telling you is I got this tunnel vision where God was the reason for all this occurring. And I got bitter. I got bitter. And there was this pain within my heart that only God could heal when I had to realize God's purpose was greater than mine. His purpose was greater. Eventually what I did, I decided, you know what? My son's not meant to be hidden. He's meant to be shared with the world. And there are things that I learn from him daily that y'all would never teach me. And as I'm going through life and I'm, I'm connecting with God through my own son, I am realizing that, that, that these moments in life, they are so special and it is so much greater than just what I have deemed as important in this life right? There is an eternity at stake here. And all of a sudden, as, as we decide that our family, we are going to just choose to be a ministry. We are going to choose to be a blessing, no matter how hard it is. What I found was I had people coming up and going, I don't know how you guys do it. And I'm like, I don't either. <laughs> and then coming up and saying, you guys are a great example. And I'm like, us? And then we start to have people in our misery. Once we finally release the bitterness, once we finally decide we're no longer going to hide, we'd have people calling us saying, hey, I've got a family going through the same thing as you. Would you talk to them? Like, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. And so I, I want to tell you, you need to embrace God's purpose for you. Think about it this way. What if your circumstances fulfills God's purpose? Think about that. What if the circumstances in your life is fulfilling God's purpose? It's hard to believe that from loved ones passing away to when you might lose your job or, or say someone like me having a, a child with a disability, that it could fulfill God's purpose. But I'm telling you that if we choose to, in spite of our circumstances, saying, God, use me, God, use me to do whatever your will is, then he's going to. And his impact is going to be so great. You have no idea what's in store. I'm getting way ahead of my message. 
<laughs> but um, here's what I know. I know God is good. And he has great plans for us. I also know he doesn't want us to suffer. He wants the best for us. But since we face sin and wickedness, we are subjected to difficulty and evil. We place the blame on God when we should be placing the blame right here. We chose sin. We chose sin. We chose to understand what it means to have life and death. And this earth, all of a sudden, next thing you know, it, becomes, it starts to become a proving ground for whether we are going to follow the path of sin or we're going to choose God. And here's the thing about Satan. He doesn't want you to make that choice because he's not afforded the same opportunity for eternal life that you are. So God, in knowing that there's very, there's very little time on, the, on, on this earth, there's very little time for you to even reach people, that God can use our circumstances, he can use your circumstances to draw you to him and to draw others to him. Listen to Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So no matter what you are facing, God is going to use that, that thing, for his good purpose. And church, it's probably not what you've planned. The way you hoped it would go. But if it accomplished God's purpose along the way, praise him. Praise him. So now we have a choice to make. Now, now, that, now that we serve God, we have a choice to make in how we approach our difficulties or how we approach these circumstances because we can choose to kick against them and always be in that woe is me attitude, always thinking about how, how poor I am, please have pity on me, feel sorry for me. We could walk that way, but it's just going to cause you to continue to play the victim and be a bitter person. So instead, what if you changed your prayer? God, use me through these circumstances. Use me through these circumstances. And then next thing you know, through your willingness to serve him, through everything you face, God's going to be glorified. He's going to be glorified. It's not about your own glory, your own, your own building up. It is for bringing glory to God. And so John the Baptist, he may have had a very untimely death, but through John the Baptist's obedience, even unto death, God was glorified. And John declared himself in the Lord's service. And to be in the Lord's service means to do what he wants, to do what he wills. Now, this might be tough because if you raise your hand and you said you're a dreamer, you also fall into that category of wanting to do your own thing. I told you I was a dreamer. So if, if you're like, man, why are you doing that to me? I'm reading my own mail, okay? So you might have determined what you want in your life, maybe how you're 
in my case, how your ministry should look, what your relationship with God should look like. But to serve God is to do what He asks and what pleases Him. So you can choose, you can go on and choose to do your own thing, but if it's not under the blessing and covering of God, is it worth it? No. No. In fact, you know, you might have things that you deem as little successes, but God's going to look at you in eternity and say, you didn't listen to me at all. Like, seriously, could you have listened to me about one thing? Instead, though, if you choose to be used for what he has purposed, it is going to give us the kingdom impact that God requests. Listen to Romans 14.8. This is a mindset I believe that we need to take on. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Let your life, no matter what happens, be about honoring Him. So don't presuppose, and this is what we tend to do, don't presuppose what your relationship with God should look like. Because to learn what He really wants from you, You need to take the time to be able to sit at his feet, learn of his ways, hear from the direction of the Lord, and follow his direction and not your own. So lastly, as I want to kind of round this out, um, there are effects, good ones, of praising God through difficulty. You see, everything in John the Baptist's life was to point directly to Jesus Christ, okay? So that was John's purpose, prepare the way for Jesus. And his life and ministry prepared them for the Messiah in his death, pointed people to, to him, and now John is gone, and it's like, oh, him. What do you think the effect might have been if John would have still been around? John might have had some followers of his own that he's fighting with saying, no, 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 him, 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 not me, him, him. But now John is out of the way. Listen, listen to Matthew 14, 12 through 14. This is right after John's disciples grabbed his body. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Listen to this. Anytime there's a but, it's pretty significant in Scripture. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped away from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus could not ignore. John had prepared the way and even though he wanted his time of mourning, but the crowds. I don't got time to mourn. Lord, your messenger fulfilled his purpose. Now I'm going to fulfill mine. Praise God. And the crowds then, they they were clamoring for what Jesus offered. And ultimately they would learn that he came for 
well beyond what they ever realized they, they even needed, which was eternal life. They were coming for healings, and they were coming so that um, they, they might feel restored in their own life, or because this world never offered them anything, and Jesus saying, I'm offering you something greater. And so everything now in our life, because we have tasted and seen, we know that the Lord is good, everything we do should be aimed at people coming to know Jesus Christ, just like John the Baptist did. Everything we do should be with that purpose in mind. Through your life, people will see Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Through your life, people will see Jesus if you reflect him. But that's your choice. And many of you are saying, but, but, pastor, you don't know. You don't understand the circumstances. You don't know what I'm fighting. You don't know what I'm facing. The Apostle Paul had an interesting take on that. He had a really interesting take on that. He used all of his sufferings, every difficulty he faced, to point to the greatness of God. I want you to listen to this because he had, he had guys in his life, get this, he had guys in his life that were questioning his ministry. Get this, they were called the super apostles. Sounds like a bunch of rubes, doesn't it? The super apostles. And Paul is trying to validate the work that he's done and he's trying to defend his ministry and I want you to listen to this because I absolutely love this section of scripture. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two through 31. It's not on there, you're just gonna have to listen. And I, I encourage you to close your eyes so you can kind of picture this with me. Are they Hebrews? These super apostles. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like I'm a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast... I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I'm not lying. Paul goes on to say in the next chapter that God's power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. 
that people could see and know how powerful and alive and active God was because of the weak moments in his own life. And church, I am telling you, there are times where your life is going to seem like everything is caving in around you, like, like you couldn't be any weaker, you couldn't be in any more despair. But I am telling you, those are the moments where you can display that God is all that matters. Consider Job in the Old Testament. Do you think there would have been a whole book dedicated to a man that just had a lot of livestock, had a family, had a wife, had servants? There wouldn't have been. Instead, Job was attacked. And he was attacked in a way that he lost basically everything except for a wife who told him to curse God and die. What a blessing. And do you think God got greater glory in all the perfect parts of Job's life? Or did God get greater glory that when even in physical suffering, physical turmoil, after losing everything he had lost, he continued to praise him? He continued to praise him. And as a result... God not only restored everything Job had, he doubled his portion. But he had to go through this pain and torment. He had to go through this proving time in his life to say, God, you are all that matters. All that other stuff, it doesn't matter. Lord, it is you. So which one would have been a greater testimony for the Lord? A life where everything was hunky-dory and nothing ever happened? Or a life where he proved, I'm going to serve God no matter what. What I know about God is he uses the weak to shame the strong. So don't carry this attitude, God can't use me because of blank. It's the wrong way of thinking. Instead, God's power, he's going to be displayed through people like you and me that it is him at work and not us, Right? It is God working through us, and it is God that is great. So what you have a chance to do is you have to say, God, I know I serve you. God, I know I have dedicated my life to you, and God, I know there are difficult moments where I have probably approached this incorrectly. You have the opportunity today to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to surrender all parts of my life, even the difficult things. Say, God it is yours to be used for your kingdom that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to praise you. Brave you come. We, church, we need to keep our eyes on the goal. What's the real goal? The title of this message is It Gets Better From Here. Because the goal, if, if our goal is in proper perspective, our goal is eternity. And that's what we're keeping our eyes on. That's what we're keeping our mind on. So no matter what we face in this life, the goal is eternity. So you might be saying, well, God, I had, I had better plans here on earth. He's got better plans in eternity. And so if you are here this morning and you say, Pastor, there are parts of my life I need to surrender. 
I need everyone with their eyes eyes closed, heads bowed. We say, Pastor, I need to surrender everything, even the pain. I need to surrender to you. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. I want to pray with you, so just where you're at, just lift both hands up to him. Lord, you know what these here whose hands are lifted up have gone through. God, you know what they're holding on to, and Lord, by every human reasoning, they are justified in it. But God, we know that if we truly want you to move in our life, Lord, we need to surrender that over to you too. God, I choose, and I I speak for everyone here, I choose to walk with a new perspective. That God, you are going to use me through my circumstances. And Lord, you are going to be shown all powerful through my weaknesses, through the hardships and the suffering. Lord, may I keep my eyes focused on what lies ahead for me. And that is your reality, my eternal reward, heaven. Lord, I thank you and praise you for who you are. And God, I pray for all the hands that are lifted up in this place for that burden to be lifted in Jesus' name. God, for for us not to be so locked on to circumstances of our lives anymore. This is all for you and your glory. I praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.